Is that me? What am I doing wrong? <laughs> just being here. Well, maybe I just step further this way. Oh. Them are fighting words right there. All right. Are we good? We're good? Sounds better? Okay. God, we worship you. We thank you that your presence is in this place and that you're currently moving here. God, I thank you that today as we're getting ready to continue the duration of worship and service through the sermon, Father God, that your presence is made known. And that through the power of the Holy Spirit that you are communicating to us what you have as a church and as individuals. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you for your presence today. Amen. Over the last few months, we've been doing a sermon series called Charting Your Course. And last week we talked about three disciplines that we could have to help train and develop our spirit. It was rejoicing, prayer, and practicing thankfulness. The scriptures that we're currently using in terms of building endurance through charting the course and how that applies to our discipline and creating endurance from those disciplines, we're using the scriptures found in James 1 and Romans 5. Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you fall or enter into various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect effect, so that you may be mature, complete, lacking nothing. Romans 5.3 And not only this, but we also boast in our afflictions, even if that means being a Raiders fan. Because we know that the afflictions produce patience and endurance. And patient endurance, proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. As... Don has kind of mentioned and Earl has kind of mentioned we're at some unique times that we have not fully experienced in our own lives globally. We're seeing multiple wars. We're on the brink of civil war. We're on the brink of a world war. We're seeing a lot of things going on. And as we step closer into the return of Jesus, things will get harder for Christians. Make no mistake. As the earth continues to be more corrupt, we will be the light of the earth and we will stick out. And that will be difficult. But because we have the presence of God and the power of God, we will be able to endure those trials and those temptations and those hardships. 
But let's not kid ourselves. If we are a weak church and a weak Christian, we will fall away. It talks about that in the Bible, how those who have professed God will turn away because of the affliction and the difficulties. So today, as I'm talking about practicing disciplines before trials and before temptations, it's so that when trials and temptations come, that we may be able to stand with the power of God and be shielded spiritually because our joy and our hope is in the Lord and not in the trials or the circumstances that we live in. So last week we talked about disciplines for our spirit. This week I want to talk about spiritual disciplines for our mind. And some of these can also overlap. It doesn't mean one's specific to the other, because even some of the stuff with the spirit might overlap with the mind, and the mind might overlap with the spirit. But the first discipline that we can do physically is studying the scripture. Studying the scripture is the foundation of knowing truth and God's voice. The more acquainted we become with the Word of God, the more we know God's voice. The more we can hear it, the more we can sense it, the more we can know what is truth. I don't know about you, but have you ever been in an environment where you've heard something and it sounds true, but it, it doesn't quite... Ah, that sounds good. That sounds true, but it just—I don't know. You got—you got that check in your spirit, is what I call it. That's the Holy Spirit warning and guiding us in that moment of what's going on. Or I've had the opposite happen, where I think something might not be true, but as I lean into the presence of God. Like, you know what, this makes sense. This aligns with your word. And we learn to discern our environment, our decisions, by knowing and understanding God's word. Joshua 1.8 says, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success. What I love about that is I've often, you know, being in real estate, it's been easy to get caught up in material success. The big house, the fancy car. As a real estate agent, I have a minivan, so when I show up to appointments in a minivan, sometimes it's not that exciting for me. You know, I show up to a million-dollar listing in a minivan. They're like, huh? Do I want that agent? I'm like, I got four kids. And so sometimes we put on the pressure of success of what the world looks like onto ourselves so that we can impress people that we don't even know. But when I think about what biblical success is and how I want to define my Life as successful. About three or four years ago, I was really struggling with finances and real estate and sales and 
just how my career feels like it's kind of been up and down. And I'm just saying, God, you know, I don't have a big house. I don't have a fancy car. I don't have tens of thousands of dollars in savings. You know, I have to borrow money some, from some friends and family just to keep going this month. I'm embarrassed as a man. And it's because I was defining what success looked like by what I saw from the world around me versus the Word of God. And I asked him to help me redefine success for my life. And this is specific to me. If I had all the treasures in the world but my children went to hell, what good was any of that? So for me, success is that all my children choose out of their own free will to live a life surrendered to God. And so my life has become about making decisions towards that success. Sometimes I do well, sometimes I fail. But the reason that we are prosperous and successful when we keep meditating on God's Word day and night is because His word does not return void. And so if I want success and prosperous, and my family to prosper, I want them to prosper through the knowing of God's word. There are some ways that as individuals we can learn and study the Bible. And I have a whole bunch of things written out here. And I'm going to just share them all. And I don't expect all all of them to be memorized or for you guys to immediately implement them. But if you hear one that just kind of sticks out to you, I believe that that's the Holy Spirit saying, all right, this is, this is the one nugget that I need to take away and implement it into studying the Word. There's several ways. There's intellectual inquiry where you are wanting to learn and study and gain just more knowledge. There's a spiritual exploration where you're looking for a spiritual, deep, relative, uh, my heart, revelation of truth. There's theological reflection where you read and you reflect and you see from where at in the Bible other things line up with this and you can cross-reference. There's historical analysis where you look at what was going on historically in those time periods. That's one way you can study. Cultural analysis, where you can see what the culture was doing, and it helps you understand why they did certain things and attributes in that day. A perfect example of cultural analysis is when it talks about how women should or could veil themselves. And in our culture today, we look at that as an oppressive command. But in reality, that was a very beautiful, gracious thing that was being offered. Because a married woman was veiled, covered, and protected. A single woman typically wasn't. And that they, their lack of being veiled was, um, signifies that they are open for, for marriage or for a bride price and it became for the pleasure of men to look upon them. So to be veiled was to be covered. So that was a cultural analysis. Keyword analysis is understanding keywords that are being consistently used 
in a passage and what those words mean. Literature analyzes the way that it is written. So we have a lot of different literature in the Bible. We have letters, we have narrative, we have poetry, we have prophecy, law, genealogy, gospel, um, parable, and apocalyptic. Say that word five times fast. And what these, these literature analyses do is it helps you understand the dynamics of what and why it is being written for its context. There are different tools that as Christians we can use to help study the Word so that we can build more endurance. One of my favorite tools is to journal and to write down things that God is teaching me through the process and how I can go back and meditate on those things. And as I grow and as I see what has transpired, I see God speaking over time. A good commentary. A commentary is uh, a book that helps you understand almost all these analyses that I talked about in, in a book that goes along with the scripture. There's tons of resources by other ministers on YouTube on studying the Bible. And, you know, if, if you are a visual learner, you can use YouTube and check out different passages and scriptures to learn from on YouTube. Or, if you like to do more studying, you can use different Bible softwares that are available. When it comes to building endurance for times of trials that are ahead, one way that we can put into action now the discipline for that is using godly speech. Godly speech is the evidence of a surrendered heart. Luke 6.45, a good man out of good treasure of his heart brings forth that which is good. And an evil man out of evil treasure of his heart brings forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Perfect, I'm being cheered on. When we... When we practice godly speech, we are building biblical endurance. Because let's be honest, godly speech is not always the easiest thing to have in our life. I know it's something that I struggle with. I can grumble, I complain, I can cuss sometimes. But godly speech is also more than just words. It's attitude. It's thoughts and tensions. It's body language. And the way we choose to communicate is evident of what's in our heart. And so as our heart begins to change through studying God's word, then those changes become evident in our heart and therefore come out. And it's a process. It's not an immediate step. Have you ever heard the term practice like you play? Or you will play like you practice? Anyone ever hear that? So, I love baseball. And I had a coach one time who 
wasn't happy with how I was practicing because if the ball was just slightly out of reach, I wouldn't try to dive for it in practice in the outfield to catch it. I just, you know, I didn't want to hit that ground and take that impact. But since one of these coaches worked with my dad in their office, there was a conversation there that my dad ended up bringing back to me. And what ended up happening is my dad just kind of shared with me, hey, he doesn't like the way you're practicing. You should give it more effort. And I'd love to say, you know, I got put on varsity after that. I didn't. But I gained more respect and I played harder because I was practicing harder. And then I led my team in home runs after that, which is really fun. But when we choose to use godly speech, for some of us, it might feel fake at first. But the more we do it, the more we get accustomed to it and used to it, the more it becomes a part of who we are and a part of our identity. And so even in the trial of our, you know, I'm going to focus today on edifying people with my words versus being critical and negative. Today, I'm going to use 10 less cuss words than I did yesterday. Today, my heart and my attitude is going to be a little bit better. My body language today is going to tell a different story. It's going to be more engaging. There are a few examples I want to share with you that we can implement into our life outside of just speaking. Uh, Let me phrase that. Here are some steps that we can take. And again, just grab one. Truthfulness. Godly speech is truthful and honest. This means avoiding falsehoods, deceits, exaggerations, And instead, it's speaking with integrity and sincerity. Jesus emphasized the importance of speaking truthfully. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Matthew 5.37 Edification. Godly speech seeks to build and encourage others rather than tearing them down. This involves speaking kindness, encouragement, and affirmation. The Apostle Paul urged believers to let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up and fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Ephesians 4.29 Speech that is godly has grace and love. It is characterized by godly speech. This means speaking with kindness and compassion and empathy towards others, even in difficult situations. Jesus taught his followers, to love their neighbors as themselves. Paul emphasized the importance of speaking the truth in love, Ephesians 4.15. Wisdom. Godly speech is marked by wisdom and discernment. This involves knowing when to speak and when to remain silent, as well as choosing words that are appropriate and beneficial. Proverbs 15.23 says, To make an apt answer is a joy 
to a man in a word and season. How good is it? Godly speech is pure and wholesome, free from corrupt language. This involves including profanity, obscenities, inappropriate jokes or comments. The Apostle Paul exhorted believers to let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out place, out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Godly speech is humble, and it avoids arrogance and pride. This involves being willing to listen to others, admit mistakes, consider alternative perspectives. James 4, 6, remember, believers, that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. When we practice godly speech in our life, in any of these manners, that is a discipline. And though we may not be perfect, as we strive to grow in that ability and in that vein of communication, it does create endurance. And endurance creates character. And character creates hope. And so when we are in times of trials, when we have forced ourselves to live in godly character, and we forced ourselves before hardship to be disciplined, we go into trials with endurance and character and hope. And if we go into trials without endurance, without character, without hope, then what ends up happening is we succumb to those trials. And that's when we see people turn away from the Lord. That's when we see people get discouraged. That's when we see people commit suicide. It's because the hardships and the trials overtook their spiritual disciplines. Lastly, practicing patience. Oh, God. Have you ever asked God to help you be more patient? Right? Does he magically make you more patient? No. But he gives you things that require more patience, more difficulty. For me, it's someone not being able to do their job. And I'm like, okay, you're, you're not being able to do your job is affecting me. Like, come on. But in those moments, we can choose the thoughts, intentions, and attitudes of our heart. And then we can allow those moments to allow patience to endure. Psalms 37.7 Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out wicked schemes. Isaiah 40:31. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strengths. They will soar on the wings of eagles, and they will run and not grow weary, and they will walk and not grow faint. If you feel like you're in a trial or a test, and you are weary, it's because that endurance of patience hasn't been built. When we look at Paul when he's trapped and in prison, we see a lot of hope and joy and encouragement in the gospel being spread. 
that dude went through a lot to get to that point. So that doesn't mean we automatically get there. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was stoned. He was imprisoned. He was bit by a snake. And many of this multiple times. But when we practice patience, patience is the silent guardian of our faith, anchoring our souls in the promises of God and His timing. Here are a few ways that we can practice patience. Submission to God's will. Surrender our desires, our plans, our timelines to God, acknowledging His sovereignty and trusting that His timing is perfect. I think a really good example for me in this is something that you guys are kind of seeing lived out right now. I graduated from ORU with a degree of theology, and I have had the desire since I was seven to be a lead pastor. I graduated in 2010. It's now the year 2024. Fourteen years later after graduating, that came to pass after being educated, but the desire was there from seven. it would be very easy to have given up a long time ago on the dream and desire to be a lead pastor someday. But I couldn't shake it. So I persisted. I helped plant some churches with individuals out of a desire to be in a church and to do ministry, and I chose wrong. I chose the wrong leaders a few times because I was trying to get in front of God's timing. Because I had the desire to be used. I had the desire to make things happen. If you remember when Earl helped me a few weeks ago, I was trying to drive God versus be led by God. The second thing that we can do to practice patience is don't hurry. Seriously, whereby individuals intentionally refrain from rushing to force an outcome, instead choosing to wait calmly, maintain composure, or embrace, embrace peace versus control of a situation or outcome. Example, waiting in traffic. I am king of trying to get there quicker. I will weave in and out. I will analyze which my mom's like yes. I will analyze which which side or not side, but lane is moving quicker, and then I'll zigzag, and I'm just I'm always trying to get there. Now, that, don't get me wrong; you want to be on time and stuff. But what I've realized is when I try to hurry, I create anxiety, stress, unrest. Things that aren't the fruit of the Spirit. But when I slow down and allow patience to be built, it creates perseverance and endurance and character in times of stress. Some ways that we can focus on not hurrying, like I mentioned one, was traffic. 
sometimes I will forcefully put myself in a longer line just to practice patience. It's stupid, but I do sometimes, and it aggravates the snot out of me. But I do it because even in those small ways, you're building perseverance, you're building endurance and character. Because in that moment of putting myself in hardship, even though it's really not hardship, third or first world problems, it's requiring me to do the second thing, which was godly speech, the thoughts, attitudes of my heart. Instead of grumbling and complaining, I'm like, all right, I can be patient, I can be calm, I can just be okay, forcefully making myself wait just a little bit longer. Another thing that we can do to practice patience is focus on the present. I can so easily get caught up with wanting things to happen that I believe God has called from the future to try to make them in the present versus just enjoying being where I'm at. Or some people may look at the past. And the past is either A, where they're living from hurt, pain, or trauma, or the past was better, so they are consistently looking back. But when we focus on the present, we avoid dwelling on the past or worrying about the future. We focus on the present, and we take actions currently. And what's unique is that those actions that we take currently end up propelling us forward. And then lastly, spending time doing something that will require you to grow. Learning a new skill like playing a guitar or piano or a sport. Writing a book. Oh dear God, that takes patience. That's why I don't do puzzles. Do a large puzzle just for the sake of building patience. And then I think I already said learn a new skill. So those are the three ways that we can build endurance in our mind. Studying scripture, practicing patience, and practicing godly speech. So God, we come to you in Jesus' name thanking you for who you are and what you've done through and by your son's shed blood. What I thank you that You are with us in the fire like you were with Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And you were with the disciples in the boat on the Sea of Galilee when the storm rose. God, I pray that we as individuals and as a church are more like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Because even though they didn't see you, they trusted you regardless of their circumstances. And you showed up. But I thank you that you show us ways, whether it's these points here or other ways, that we can engage in spiritual disciplines that will create more endurance, more character, and more hope. So that we can live out godly lives. And then when 
harder tests and harder trials come, we can do it with all joy. In Jesus' name. If you're here today and you haven't accepted the Lord, every head bowed, every eye closed, if you haven't accepted the Lord, if you would just raise your hand, no one looking around, and I'll see Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, Evan? I need to reconnect with Jesus in a way that I haven't had in a while. And that's you. Feel free to raise your hand. I won't bring you up, but raise your hand and we'll pray for you. Okay, I see that hand. You can put it down. Anyone else? God, I thank you for the person that raised their hand. Lord, we speak life over that person's heart and mind. That you are opening them up ways of opportunities to get to know you through your word, through community, and through a spiritual touch by you.